podcast with myself, Gregory Treat. I'm your host, and we have on today Joe Durso, author of The Jesus You Need to Know. And today we're going to be going through chapter three of The Jesus You Need to Know, talking about Jesus, a ruler who can be trusted. And you have as a subtitle here, The Trustworthiness of God's Love. So, and, and again, I, I suppose I, I almost always start off our podcast on your book about this, but how did you come to the place where a ruler that can be trusted, where, where, did, where did that enter your, you know, your heart and your mind to something that you felt was one of these essential qualities about Jesus Christ? Okay. Now, when you first asked the question, I was, you know, what was on my mind? And, you know, sometimes I think in terms of history and uh, politics some other times. I have a quote there about where people are standing right now with that. But, but with, with regards to Jesus, um, you know, if, you, if you're a Christian and you read your Bible regularly and you study the Word of God and you, you see Jesus in passages, whether they're exemplifying Christ in the Old Testament or clearly delineating His person and His character in the New um, you, you you can't help but see the fact that he's God, and then he has a creation, and if someone has to rule that creation, then who would be better than God? He's the only one who really can. And then you look at Jesus, the person, the man, and you see how he interacts with people many times who are, let's face it, out to get him, and, uh, and you just realize that he, he's never taken by surprise, he never overacts the way we do. He never loses his temper. He's, he's, just, he's just right on the money in everything. And we could go into examples, and we will. Um, but just, just read your Bible, and you see Jesus, and you see someone who's different than any person that you know personally. Yeah. You quote Isaiah 9-7. His dominion will be vast, and he will bring immeasurable prosperity he will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness. From this time forward and forevermore, the Lord's intense devotion to his people will accomplish this. And then you go on to highlight that last line, the Lord's intense devotion to his people will accomplish this. So what, what, what did you think was the most important thing that we can draw from that scripture? Well, again, you know, if we start with our own personal experience, <clears throat> we get into relationships with people, excuse me. We, uh, we have family members, we have people we work with, we have friends when we're growing up. And there's, uh, there's you know, there's always falling out, there's words that are hurtful, there's people who let you down or betray you or backstab, and in all these things there's, you know, there's fear or flight, there's uh, confrontation or, you know, all, all, of the, all of those relational things that take place that basically turn our relationship inside out or ruin it. And, uh, you know, in, in the case of Christ, he's, he's actually perfect. He, he's holy. He has standards that he keeps. 
and he demands his creation to keep them, and we all break them, and we could give example over example, not only if we're honest in our personal life, but throughout history, from individuals and crime situations, so nations going to war with one another. And uh, the truth is, Jesus didn't walk out on the human race. He didn't just stop thinking about his creation and it just goes off and disintegrates and disappears, which he could have done, he could, he could do. But rather he went all the way to pay the price for our sin. You know, pay an eternal price. The only way we can pay an eternal price is throughout eternity. Uh, he goes to a cross being an eternal God who's not confined by time, and he, he pays the price. We can't comprehend it. We can't even understand it from the standpoint of why would a holy God do such a thing except for his benevolence and his love. Um, but his devotion, devoted. You know, yeah. like the marriages that break up after a very short period of time now. Like my, my son recently said, he said, uh, it used to be the seven-year itch, now it's the three-year glitch. You know, and that's, you know, it's, that's marriage on the downgrade. But, you know, God is not that way. Not that way. Yeah, so you, in, in chapter three, you highlight five biblical truths regarding Christ's character in terms of how and why we can trust him as a ruler. And you start off with... Jesus possessed the infinite power of God. And that's, I mean, obviously that, that does seem kind of like the logical place to start. I think so many of us, we, we make so much of Christ in his humanity, Christ in his imminence, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, that we don't really think through the idea of God walking around with the capacity to you just kind of blow things away <laughs> if he were if he were so inclined if that that if the thing that held Christ back during his earthly ministry was not any kind of i don't know not not any kind of limitation on his personal power but rather his character keeping him set on what he was doing so uh, just was thinking about, you know, what what are the things that we understand about Christ's character from the fact that, that he had that kind of power? Well, and as I go into the, in, in the book, you know, I, 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 I talk about the, uh, the Twilight Zone where uh, Billy Mummy, who actually is on Lost in Space, plays the part of this kid, I don't know, he's nine years old or something, and he has the power to do what he wants. I mean, he can turn a man into a frog if he wants. And the town is just horrified by this little kid who's just not, you know, as children are, they're not very restrained. They slap one another, they don't think about what they're doing, they hit you with their bicycle, you know. And here's this kid who's just He's got an attitude problem, as any child would. You know, and here's Christ, who, remember, he's in the process of becoming a mature person. Because when he became a man, however this worked, he left heaven, he comes down as a seed, he grows into an infant, a baby, he learns how to talk, mm. all of this to identify with the human race, 
so that he can be a proper high priest and intercede for us throughout eternity. And I don't know all that that means, but in this process, mm -hmm. he's not fully formed yet. Hmm. And even though he's not fully formed yet, he is divine, and he's a perfect man, and he is restrained. I mean, we should be so restrained, we don't even begin to approach it as fully formed, mature men and women. But he's like that all through his childhood. Mm -hmm. Knowing at some point who he is, he comes to the awareness as a human being, and he can do whatever he wants. The way he spoke as an adult to a fig tree, and it withered instantly from the roots down, and it shows up the next day, just totally demolished. Look, Lord, the tree that you cursed. He could have done that as a child to a person, to an army, to a to a nation. Yeah. Well, and, and the, you know, Jesus did not grow up in a, a time where all was sunshine and light in the nation that he grew up in. He grew up in a time of immense political persecution, immense political oppression. Right. I think, and I think, you know, we hear a lot about things like oppression uh, in in today's day and age. In Roman times, that was literal oppression. You know, if you challenge the Roman rule, if you did, you know, what, <laughs> I mean, half of what people are, are claiming would, would cause the end of the world now, um, you know, you would just absolutely be, I mean, they, they, they would have just killed you. The Romans did not mess around with stuff like that. They didn't believe in protests. <laughs> hmm. Well, let's call it for what it is, and you can correct me on the percentage. I know you're really good in history, but I've heard it said that uh, it's believed that at least 20% of the Roman Empire were slaves. Yeah. So at, he's being brought at up least, at a at time least. of slavery, right? At, at least, least, right. Yeah. So a slave, no, uh, and I know there was different categories of slave, but you know, in, in, in a lot of cases, the slave had no rights whatsoever. Just like you're saying, I mean, your life yeah, and, is meaningless. And, and in the cases that were different from that, you you wouldn't want to live in those cases, you know. I mean, even even the slaves yeah. that had some hypothetical rights, they were they were so much reduced from what we think of as baseline human rights. It was not a good situation. So, plus all the abuses that then take place. I mean, you can imagine what mm -hmm. soldiers would do with women and. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, it had, it's horrible. Yeah, well, well, nothing that, short of horrible. And Jesus would and, have and seen And there that. were rebellions. I mean, in the time between, you know, 0 AD and 30, you know, 30 to 35 AD, there were multiple rebellions in, um, in Israel. There were multiple instances of people who were claiming to be the Messiah. And the Romans came down like a hammer on those people. I mean, they, you know, they did not mess around with this stuff. So it was a... A real kind of a hard road to to walk dealing with this stuff. So you know, um, and for thirty years, yep, and didn't Jesus and died. didn't respond in the way that you know we we think of as well. You know, Jesus should have done this. Jesus should have done that. It really makes you wonder, kind of, you know, how we're. I think the priorities that people are moving towards right now. How do we how do we arrive at, at those at those priorities? How do we decide that that's the way we're supposed to go? Interesting to think about.
That's uh, well. That I just. I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> of. I suppose the the modern debates that we have about um, you know slavery and social justice and all of this stuff. You know, Jesus Christ walked around in one of the most unjust times in human history. And he did not, the, 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 the record of scripture, if scripture is true, Christ Jesus did nothing to deal with those things. That was not his mission. So, all right. Well, you know, Peter yeah. tells us to submit to authority. That's kind of the bottom line. And, you know, you look at Rome, just like we're talking about, we don't have to go down this road very far. But, you know, during a time of when government could have been really unjust. And they could stick yeah. you on a cross and crucify you. It was. You know, uh, Peter said, mm. you know, submit mm. to authority. That authority. Uh, don't uh, do anything that's going to cause you to sin. You know, if they tell you to go out and rape somebody, and they're not saying to do that. Um, but you submit to the authority, which is, uh, yeah. you know, acceptable. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting... It's an interesting place to, to, to ponder that reality. So your point three is Jesus entered puberty with a passion for God the Father. And you, you mentioned that you know, he, he lived with his parents for 30 years. Um, you know, and just to, to think about how, how difficult it is to really truly remain submitted in, in these, these sorts of ways. Well, yeah, and, you know, then I went into the story when he was 12. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there he's, uh, and I go into the kind of the, the chemistry when uh, hormones start kicking in and we start to become independent and towards adulthood. And as yeah. sinful people, you know, that, that kicks in and that's when parents start pulling their hair out and it starts turning gray. And, you know, you start, you know, talk to the hand kind of an attitude from your kids and your wife says, <laughs> yeah. you better do something now before I kill him, you know, and, all that. and it's just the, uh, just the opposite, uh, yeah. from with Jesus, you know, uh, mm. didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house and he wasn't talking about Joseph. He's talking about God doing the will of God when his hormones kicked in his love for God, the father who he knew throughout his, in an eternal existence you know, kicked in. Um, I'm a man, and with my manhood, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to do. This is the character of Christ, the one who's not only divine in God, but is fully man. And we see what, yeah. what it's like to live as a man. Well, and I think you, you highlight so well that, um, you know, he, this was his, this was his inclination that this was his desire, you know, and that desire winds up being tempered by his commitment to live, you know, in in harmony with, with what he owed his parents, the duties of, of his time and all of that. But, you know, when he when he became a man, he wanted to be about his father's business. That was his first instinctive reaction. You know, what a difference from where we are today in, in so many ways. You're talking personally. So, or you're talking about a nation or, or as a church. Well, I just, I just think that that, you know, you, you have this line: such thinking is not natural to sinful men, especially in a culture where, 
young men rarely continue their father's businesses. I mean, there's there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that that idea that you know God God has a plan. Uh, that 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 the, the the type, you know, there's a lot in the Old Testament, basically, about this idea that the the pattern that God has for how things are going to go is for a father to be about, or for a son, excuse me, for a son to be about his father's business. And, you know, we don't, we just kind of gloss over that in modern day, but that, the, the Old Testament has so much to say about, yeah, you, you have an obligation to continue to do the right thing, to be about your father's business, all that stuff. So just something to, something to ponder. All right. Um, so then we're, we come to the fact that Jesus's first miracle was not until his 30th year. You know, I, I, I will say, I think there's, there's some people that might push back on you about that, given that, you know, his mother apparently knew enough to tell the servants, you know, do, do whatever he tells you to, because he's going to, he's going to be, he's going to be able to, to fix this in some way. Well, they can push back if they like, I'm not going to push back on them because I have nothing to speak from. There's nothing in historical history that I'm aware of that talks about Christ doing miracles and there's nothing in the scripture. So speaking from what's not written is not really wise in my opinion. That's all I got. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then we move to the, the fifth point that, that he, he continued to submit to, to Joseph and Mary. I mean, think about how long he went through the 30 years is a long time. I mean, I just turned 30 last year and you know, in our culture, you know, there, there's a lot of people that are just shocked that, you know, that I wasn't out at 22 going, trying to go out and make money, right? Because that, that's, that's the goal. Um, and, I mean, and you need to make money. You need to, to certainly be, be doing the right thing and not, not be loafing off of things for sure. But, but um, you know, it's important not to, not to have a, uh, you know, to, to, to think through where you're going and what your priorities are. And, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's very interesting that, that Christ waited until he was 30 to, to move forward, uh, you know. And, and to some extent, I suppose that's a cultural thing, right? I think I could talk to that from a couple of point of view, a couple of different point of view, but here's one, you know. Number one, God is divine. And so when you think about him in, 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 a, in an eternal existence, 30 years is not too long, we can talk about his humanity, and of course that's, that's different from the human perspective, and he was fully human. So patience begets God because God is patient. Just think of God in, in the 6,000, well, 4,000 years at that point, uh, of man sinning and him enduring all of that sin. Um, he's patient, but there's something, there's much more. Um, he's, he's, uh, you know, let's say he's 12 years old. And so from 12 to 30, we're looking at that time span and it seems like a long time. What happens when he's 33? He's facing a thing that we call the cross that we have no experience with, but he understands what's coming. 
He understanding he understands as being fully God how much he hates sin. And he understands that hatred is going to be unleashed on him. Um, at that point, any human being would say, I'm not in a rush to go there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm being funny, but nothing funny about it. Um, so that would be a, a put, let's put the brakes on and not let rush. At the same time, he's here for that purpose. He knows it. He's going headlong into this thing, and he has no reluctance. He's going to face down the cross. So all of those elements, you dwell on them, you meditate, you come to worship that God, this is God doing this and it's beyond us. And he's both patient yeah. for a number of reasons, one, yeah. of, one of which would slow him down. Hmm. If he, and he didn't desire to speed up because he knew the plan. He knew everything had to be in line. He knew Judas yeah. had to be there. He knew all the disciples had to be ready and at the right age and the Pharisees and the priests and everything had to line up and that's what he was going to wait for. Yeah. Well, and then just kind of trying to sum all it up. Um, you know, we, we, I think there, there's a lot of people that the, for them, the idea of a ruler who can be trusted just the, the the idea of that is so contrary to how they understand, you know, their lives and their their decisions and, and and how they understand authority. I think there's a lot of people for whom authority is just by definition a maybe evil is the wrong word, but but certainly not something that you can trust ever. Um, I think that's a fair. That's a fair statement. <laughs> um. <clears throat> and I think the founders, you can correct me, I think you probably undoubtedly know more than I do even there, but um, mm -hmm. they understood when, uh, and coming out of the Great Awakening or during the Great Awakening and the preaching that was done, a huge effect upon them, but uh, they, they knew human depravity. Uh, they knew that man had an evil side and they didn't trust it. Yeah. And so what you're saying is, you know, completely valid and well, even the, in their the, day and ours. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we, when we get, you look at the origin of say the Presbyterian church and a lot of that came back to these understandings of what is, you know, what is the church, uh, how is church authority, how are, how are churches to be organized? And then that very quickly led into, well, how is the world to be organized? How is politics to be organized? And people really, I mean, they really did believe that prior to kind of the, the, the Reformation, that, that power was just kind of evil. You prayed for a good king, but there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any real expectation um, that there that there would be uh, earthly checks and balances on human authority. There was the church, and there was some expectation of of divine judgment. Uh, but you know, in, in practical terms, we just kind of set up systems and let them go. And you know, the fact that so many of them were going to have evil effects, and there's going to be bad rulers, was just considered par for the course. And it was only as people began to study the Bible that there was a shift 
and there was as as a matter of theological faith people people did not come to the idea that government or that authority could be trustworthy and wholesome from reason they came to that a belief through faith i think that's the that's one of the points that I want to pick up to that through faith in Jesus Christ specifically, because if Christ was a good ruler, if Christ could be trusted, then it is possible for us to have people in leadership that we can trust. And, you know, as we lose that perspective, that faith in God as a God who can be trusted and, and Jesus as a, as a ruler and king who can be trusted, you know, we don't know how far these effects go. Well, we can imagine it, right? You know. You, you look at history, and before the great American experiment, and, you know, you go back to England, and what, what year did the Magna Carta come out? You know, there was movements towards, you know, uh, the effect of the gospel. It had an effect on the world. And, you know, we're in this bubble, having lived in a Christian, quote-unquote, country, certainly the thinking. We've been influenced much, much greater by the Bible than we realize People that have no clue, you know, they're atheists, they're diehard atheists, they want nothing to do with the Judeo-Christian ethic, um, have no idea how much they've been affected just growing up in this country. You know, how much the teachings of Christ influence our courts and our thinking and our schools, even though they're so anti-Christian now. And that's not to say there aren't plenty of good moral people and Christian people throughout our country. But government has been influenced by this greatly. And, 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 you know, and Hollywood and the media and the universities, very antagonistic towards Christian character. I mean, I remember the Clinton era. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, what a man is. You know, basically, if he's intelligent enough to rule, he's okay. Character doesn't matter. That was the big thing during the elections back then. And I'm looking at people like they got two heads. Character doesn't matter. What happened to, you know, uh, Washington? I must not tell a lie. I ate the apple. You probably, did you hear that story when you were a kid? I mean, I heard it in church, but not, I mean, it was certainly not something (laughs) that, that, you know, people taught in school. I I was taught it in school. It was in the history Mm. book, okay? Uh, Now they can say it was just made up or whatever. Maybe not, but... uh, it come from somewhere. Even if it yeah. was the idea of his character, and he probably had some more moral fiber than we would give him oh, credit. Yeah. I, I know he probably wasn't a Christian, but uh, oh, some, yeah. of, some of the things are, you know, he said and all, you know, very doubtful. But moral, yeah. I, I, my father was 60 when he became a Christian. And I got to tell you, all the years I was, I wish I saw sometimes in church what I saw in my home. My father had a character to be envied by a Christian. I mean, he didn't drink, he didn't lie, he didn't curse. I mean, that's just the way he was brought up and that's the way he lived his life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that, I mean, I think, I I suppose I was kind of asking the question in, in a parenthetical mode. I think we are seeing the the outcomes of when you when you lose the the faith that produced the idea of a you know 
a transcendent authority that was just and righteous. You know, of the he, you know, the in order to, to come to God, you must first believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. And we see that exemplified and lived out. It's not just a matter of pure faith, but but we actually can sort of grab a hold of that idea in the the, the name and person of Jesus Christ. And this but, is a good thing we're talking know, about. You know that? Um, let me go back to yeah. my father for a minute. Because <clears throat> I want to make a distinction at this point between a person who claims Christianity. And, and, and I'm not talking about motive. I don't know people's motives, why they say and do the things they do. But they really believe themselves to be Christian. In that hour, God, Christ is going to say to many, you know, you... Many are going to say to him, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do many miracles? And, and he's going to say, I never knew you. You know, that being the case. Sorry about that. That being the case, you know, they live under this moral influence. And you're still there, right, Greg? Greg, you're still there? So there are people who live under the moral influence and they're affected by it. And so here's my father who's brought up in a Catholic home and he goes to war and he gets a 50 50 caliber bullet in his back and while he's laying in a ditch dying or headed that way, you know, he says, God, if you let me live, I'll give you my, my life to you. Now, he's like 28 or 30 years old when this happens. And the person yeah. that I told you about is a person who could make that kind of commitment and live by it. Yeah. Show you what human discipline can do or even belief at that level. Now, that's not yeah. saving faith. Saving faith is relinquishing all trust in yourself to merit heaven. And when a person understands that he's a sinner and that he cannot possibly earn favor with God because of his sin and his separation from God, his animosity towards the one true God, he's very capable of going out and cutting up some wood and fashioning it into an idol, or theologically, in theory, what he thinks God is and worshiping a God of his own making, all men are capable of doing that. But that's not saving faith. Saving faith is coming to the realities of what the Bible teaches about ourselves and about God and what we're talking about in the character of Jesus Christ today. Uh, We're talking about it today. We read about it that took place 2,000 years ago. Who he was, what he did, what he accomplished on our behalf, how he laid his life down for our salvation. That comes to saving faith. Want to add anything to that? Well, but just the the, you know, it's it's important to make those distinctions. But but both of those things are important. They're important enough to talk about. They're important enough to think about. They're important enough, frankly, I think to to weep about when when we lose them. Um, there's there's a lot of suffering in the world. You know, and this kind of gets back to that. Well, you know, that that social justice thing, the 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 way that the way that God sets up 
that that we're going to see a better world is for sons to be about their father's businesses, frankly. Um, and we we understand that in their proper sphere, that's a good and righteous and worthy thing. And I think we've lost that. I think we've lost that ability to to trust that authority can be good and that that life you know can it's it's so odd because the people that yell the loudest about social justice they're the people that in their in their lives if you were to kind of ask them the pointed questions i I think they have the least faith of anyone i know about the um the ability of things to actually improve the because to improve you would actually have to build something you'd have to have authority structures you'd have to have people that were right and could be trusted at some level to do what they'd said and you know the the left is just really really not they don't believe in that um and and i think that's a that's a tragedy and it's 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 hurting lots and lots of people and and perhaps you know and and it does have the dual effect of both being tragic and hurting people and cutting them off making it more difficult for them to come to a saving knowledge of christ so these are vital issues, but yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's all we've got on the subject. So that's chapter three of the Jesus you need to know. Joe, any um, final thoughts? Just one final thought. Uh, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how in control God is. And someone in Bible study yesterday morning uh, just knocked me over with, uh, you know, he's been struggling with this thing and the other thing. And, uh, you know, he has good days and he has days that are not so good. And, and he kind of came to this realization that it, and this is what it's all about. And then I was just applauding him as he was going. And uh, that he's really not in control of anything. And that he, he doesn't really get victory over anything. That God is the source of life. He's the eternal life. And that we need every day to recognize that fact. And that everything that happens through our lives, he's 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 making... It ha- if it's good, you know, we, we're in charge of sin. But, you know, the, the good, the gifts, you know, the holiness, you know, it's all as being like, a, you know, a, a machine plugged into the wall. It's not got nothing until it, it gets the juice from the socket, the electric powers or the gasoline powers. What, that's what God is in holiness and goodness and righteousness and justice. I want to go back to that word. It all comes from God. And really, the world isn't going to see that really the way it wants to until Jesus reigns, which he's going to do. And this is where patience comes in. We're talking about the patience of Christ. Well, he's the source of our patience. So if we would want to see that, we need to do have patience and know that our hope is uh, hope in uh, our faith in the future. That God is going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to return. He's going to set up a thousand-year kingdom. He's going to show the world what it's like for a thousand years. A big part of that world is still going to turn their backs on him. And then comes the final judgment. Those are my closing words. All right. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for that they might know the podcast about with uh, author Joe Durso, author of The Jesus You Need to Know. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.